production. Hands up if you've walked past a young homeless person and avoided eye contact. Maybe you wanted to give them a few bucks only to realise, hey, I don't carry cash anymore. Or maybe you wanted to stop and help them, but you didn't know how. Well, today's guest has felt all those emotions, so much so that he was compelled to do something about it. So he started a social enterprise with a marketing and sales bent, and he's never looked back. It's a heartwarming episode 577 of the 12-year-old award-winning small business big marketing podcast. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show, a successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Bowie. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing for millennials. I'm your host, Timbo Reed, and I have an insatiable curiosity for uncovering marketing strategies and ideas that help businesses just like yours to grow. You, so much more importantly, are a motivated business owner, ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that is exactly why this podcast has existed for so long. You're in the right place, my friend. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Hey, big news about next week's guest later in the show. Suffice to say that if ever you found yourself thinking, geez, I'm working as hard as I can and getting absolutely nowhere, then you are going to take a huge amount of inspo from their story. I'll give you one hint, two words, Pink Floyd. Hmm, curious? Good. That'll be next week. Now, to today's guest. Nick Pierce is the co-founder of Homey, a retail and training social enterprise where 100% of profits support young people experiencing homelessness and hardship. How they do it is what piqued my interest in getting Nick on the podcast. You see, from the outside, Homey is a streetwear clothing label with a retail store on Melbourne's fashionable and famous Brunswick Street, manufacturing and selling all the usual suspects, hoodies, tees, beanies, tote bags, you know, all that gear the young people of today wear. (laughs) Even wear beanies like in the middle of summer. Must be a very cool thing to do. I must get one. But then this is where things get interesting. You see, Homie's philosophy is that homelessness is a situation that young people can move out of with the right support and tools. So the brand also provides training via their Pathway Project, enabling those doing it tough to upskill and become retail store ninjas. And we cover plenty of ground in this chat with Nick, including how Humans of New York inspired the first iteration of the Homie brand, how to develop profitable strategic alliances, something we should all be doing, often, along with Nick's insightful view on guerrilla marketing, an area of marketing that I particularly like. Oh, and later in the interview, you'll hear about a number of fulfilling ways you and your business can support Homie's mission. And spoiler alert, it ain't through donations. Much more fun than giving money. As the founder of a social enterprise, I started off by asking Nick if he felt as though he was on a mission. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think um, one of the things, and I think it whether it's a social enterprise or not, I always find I'm sort of, you know, next kind of person. So what's next? You know, so I found it really hard being in the um, 
in the trenches and, you know, the, the, the small wins and, and trying to stop and smell the roses, I often find that I'm always thinking, well, what's next? There's always this to do. So it's sort of, it, it's lovely that um, in, in two ways, like um, it really fulfills that kind of aspirational um, spirit of, you know, entrepreneurialism, et cetera. But really um, what, what feeds me obviously is kind of um, at the end of the day, I can kind of go to bed and, and know that we've done something, you know, we, 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 no matter what's happened, no matter what kind of day we've had, we've had an impact and that, you know, makes life um, a bit easier and a bit more sort of um, digestible when it is a tough day. So that's one of the biggest perks. But I also, I think I need to sort of focus and, and get better at really um, honing in on smelling the roses and celebrating the small wins because I'm always thinking, what's next? Oh, that was great. We've got this to do now and I want to get this happening. So I need to slow down a bit, you know, both from a speaking perspective and just movement. From my experience, having spoken to many, many small, medium, large business owners, um, you're not alone, buddy. (laughs) Take take comfort in the fact that many of us don't stop and smell the roses. I'm not sure that's a great idea. Even if you don't do it for yourself, I would have thought that stopping and smelling the roses for your staff and those around you who have been responsible for a little win is a kind of a nice thing to do. But hey, far be it for me to uh, be, be proffering advice, buddy. No, no, I need to take it. <laughs> Prior to starting a social enterprise, did you work in for-profit land in some way, shape or form? You know, I actually hadn't. So so really, I sort of, Homie became what was my first full-time job. I mean, prior I'd had quite a eclectic mix of, of roles. So I worked as like a, a nanny um, or, or manny, if you will, male babysitter was my job before, um, before Homie. Um, and um, look, just sort of, you know, your, your, your cafe job and, um, and all those things. So I hadn't actually had any practical sort of work experience in running a business, working in retail, um, nothing um, of, of a kind really. But um, at the same token, I think like, you know, a lot of sort of those fundamental principles around sort of respect for relationships and and treating others how you want to be treated, et cetera, um, they have really held me in great stead. So I think um, I like to think that I'm sort of somewhat of a personal sort of person. So I guess those qualities um, have been instilled from sort of, you know, a young age and and really they have carried me in really great stead. But I think the other thing I'd say to that is a lot of it's sort of logic as well. Like I'm quite a logical person. So it's been interesting kind of going on this journey, a lot of intuition, but um, just applying like sort of logic and reason can also really guide you and, and help steer you, especially if you don't have that kind of um, business now, if you will. Okay. So you, first job, your first job is in a not-for-profit, in a social enterprise. Was, was that sort of your aim? Was the idea of working for the man in some kind of capitalistic environment? Because you know, I'm, I've got three kids who would probably be, how old are you? Oh, so I'm now, what am I, 28? <laughs> so I've got, you know, 25 down to 21. Your generation, you know, you, you do seem to have what's the word here? Bigger hearts, or you are you're more inclined to look for something that's going to make an impact or a difference on the world. Were you mm. always going to go down this path? Yeah, I think purpose is like always sort of been something that I've thought about. You know, when at school I was always sort of I guess engaging in those extracurricular activities that were offered and the fundraising drives and everything else. And I think twofold because I you know I just thought well why not for one and also like it actually does feel good you know and I know there's sort of you know that notion of altruism etc. But you know, I mean, 100% altruism is, is, is so tough. Like it actually does fill me up a bit as well. So I, I really enjoy that actually for my own mental health and sort of just, I guess, my, my fibre as a, as a person, I, you know, it's something that's important to me. I've, I've spoken about it so many times, but I guess it's, 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 so, it's interesting. Like sort of the journey itself has, has been, as I say, like really based on intuition, you know, for the most part and kind of um, these inflection points. And, and really what it stemmed from was kind of identifying that, okay, here's a situation. There was a few things, you know, sort of um, that led to it. 
what can we do that's going to make a real practical, meaningful difference? And also, I guess that notion of it not having to be this grandiose kind of endeavor, but rather like if we can make one person's day easier or make someone's life better, then that is important and that makes it worthwhile no matter, you know, the effort that needs to go into it, et cetera. So we got to a point where we thought, you know, we, we can't do everything for everyone, but we can do something for someone. And I'm guessing this conversation started in, in around 2014. So who's we and why were you having this conversation? One of the co-founders um, who, who still works in, in the organisation, myself, um, Marcus, we met on a fundraising bike ride. So we were actually um, riding from Vietnam to Cambodia. So we did a, a 1,000K bike ride. It was a, it was a pretty... Um, Good, solid endeavour from a from a physical perspective, but um, yeah, we certainly enjoyed ourselves um, during the evenings, and then would you know the next day get on the saddle and and, and ride off the um, <laughs> the toxins. Um, but look, I think um, you know for us, what was really important about that trip was that we were, we were raising funds and awareness for anti child trafficking, and it was for one school in a, in a really remote region of Cambodia, and we really liked that notion, as I say, that it wasn't kind of this um, global conglomerate sort of you know charitable umbrella, etc. It was it was one school to go and actually meet the people. And I guess think about, well, how can we make the, the best difference? So there are, there are you know, many things that we could have done. But the, the most, I guess, um, important thing that was sort of presented to us was that in these rural communities, often the, um, the quality teachers are poached, you know, into the city because it's, you know, better, better living standards, et cetera, better pay. Um, and then hence there's, you know, there's no school or the children are actually not engaging in education and they're, they're out playing in the fields and they're more vulnerable to exploitation. So that was a real aha moment for us where it was like, wow, so there are so many things that we can do for this cause, but the most important thing that we can do for this school right now is support the teachers and actually sponsor some teachers to work in the school. So I really liked that. I kind of thought, well, that's really cool in terms of you know, you're trying to do everything. It's just so overwhelming. There are so many issues. It's an uber niche. That's what you've identified. Because yeah. when I come across... Whether they're new causes or just new causes to me, one of the first things I sort of ask myself is, isn't there someone already doing this? Mm. And isn't there someone already doing this that's a lot bigger than you're going to be as a startup? And, yeah. of, and often there is. The work you're doing, you could argue, is being done, not well, I was going to say by the Selvos or by the Brotherhood mm. of St. Lawrence, but you are, have a very, very specific little niche and a very driven kind of cause to, to educate, to, you know, street, street, what is it, streetwear clothing, uh, social enterprise for mm. people experiencing homeless, homelessness or hardship. So it's very specific. Mm. I, I get it now. So, yeah, it's very yeah. clear where the idea came from. Well, it's sort of, again, sort of applying that principle from what we, we, we took from that experience with the teachers in, in Cambodia was then thinking about, well, this issue of homelessness is so big, you know, it's a global issue, there's, there's so much to it. But, but some of the biggest sort of things that resonate with us was that there's this enormous stigma around it. And actually, a lot of the stereotypes are so unfounded, it's not funny. You know, if people actually um, looked at and absorbed the statistics, they completely change sort of the, the shape of what you actually think homelessness is. And that's the reality. And then also understanding that, well, youth homelessness is actually probably the biggest issue within this issue. And to actually for us in our own minds, rectifying like where are we best placed to make an impact when we can't do everything, it was, well, hey, can we try and break the cycle here? I know it sort of sounds a bit romantic, but we can focus on intersecting these young people at a critical time in their lives, providing an alternative pathway for them and ensuring that they actually don't end up experiencing chronic homelessness because most homelessness is actually young people. The, the statistics tell us that over 60% of, of, of homelessness in Australia is people who are 35 and under and over 40% of people who are 25 and under. And also homelessness isn't fundamentally living rough. That's definitely one of those experiences. Um, and, and it's probably the one that we obviously all identify with the most because we see it in our everyday lives, commuting to work or school or whatever it may be. But that's 7,000 out of, you know, I think the most recent sort of um, census was, you know, 120,000. So there's 113,000 people who are experiencing homelessness in different ways. So yeah, it was kind of us sort of unpacking all those things and then thinking, well, 
we're a wee best place because there's amazing organisations that are absolute institutions, as you say, who are doing incredible work. But, you know, where was there a gap that we could kind of, I guess I look at us as like a really important cog in the machine, you know, and, and, and how do we provide genuine value and not reinvent the wheel and make sure it is meaningful. You know, whether you're talking about a for-profit business or a social enterprise, finding a gap in the marketplace is kind of an interesting place to start because yeah. the gap's there because there is no need or mm. the gap's there because there is a need and no one has bothered to fill it. So you've done your 1,000K bike ride with Marcus. Yep. You've, you've come back, you're, in, you're inspired, you can see a little spark of an idea which says, hey, if we could just make the difference in one small community, one small niche, what, what, how, mm. however you wanted to, to define that, then that's something that we would like to be involved in. How yeah. did you identify the gap that Homie ended up filling. Yeah, yeah. Again, it was sort of I guess, a number of steps, but what we ultimately did was we, we started by talking to people who were living rough, actually. We went down and had conversations with them and what sort of initially Just walked changed, out the street and yep, talking to Yeah, we literally went out onto Swanson Street, saw the first person, you know, and said, let's just go because we were shitting ourselves, you know, had all these yeah, preconceived yeah. notions and everything else. Yeah, right, so you are like me. You're like, you're like everyone else. Yeah. You know, you never, we always walk past a homeless person, yep. maybe get smiled, maybe give them a coffee, but yep. you had no connection. You didn't know how they were going to respond. Okay. Absolutely. So a lot of anxiety um, and we just sort of said let's just let's just you know front up let's just go and and, and look them in the eye shake their hand get down to their level and, and have a chat so we did that and it was it was really for me quite confronting because the first person I spoke to actually we found out went to the same school as me you know and I went get to out. a private boys school in Melbourne I'll be, they, were, they, were, they were you know a fair bit older than get me but out. connected over some teachers you know just all these commonalities and, and they did have um Unfortunately, you know, it's a significant um, mental health issue and, and they weren't sort of looking after themselves. They had a loving family. They had, you know, sort of all these other notions, but I guess, unfortunately, they weren't looking after themselves. And, and fundamentally, they actually sort of the, the streets, you know, that's where, that's where they ended up, um, you know, that their, their life sort of ended there, which was really sad, you know, for me to kind of go, I can't believe this, you know, coming from this background of being, you know, quite privileged and, and having not faced, you know, much adversity at all, to go and speak to this person um, completely changed my perception of what homelessness was because we connected over music, you know, that was a massive Phil Collins fan and it was just, um, yeah, it was just such a yeah, profound moment. <laughs> or or studio. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And he, um, the song, um, Another Day in, is it just another day oh, in yeah, Paradise, yeah, yeah. you know, that's actually oh, about homelessness, right? Yeah, yeah. Is so, it really? Yeah, it is, yeah. So you have, have a listen um, to it. It's mm. actually, you know, and I went home and listened to that and, you know, for me, it was like, wow, I can't believe that I had these ideas. And then to speak to this person that, you know, completely changed mm. my, as I said, my um, assumptions that I, that I had. And then we thought, this really sucks because we're not the only ones who feel like this, right? So what we actually did was we looked at a model that was already working really well. Can, and I, can think, I just stop? Yeah. Um, there's lots, lots to unpack here. So you, you, you've, you've, the first homeless person you bump into is a bloke older than you. He goes to the same school as you. You're like, my God, this is incredible. Mm. You know, you, you've been touched. But research group of one, you know, you can't make a decision around that. So did you keep that on that day? Did you keep wandering around? Yeah, we, we made it a bit of a, a weekly practice. So I was studying at RMIT and Marcus is working in the city. So what we um what we ended up doing was, um yeah, we created this Facebook page because we were chatting to more people. Each week we'd just go down, as I say, the principle was, Sit, chat, listen, share. Go up to the person, 
ask if it's okay to have a chat with them, get down to their level, look them in the eye and just have a combo and just go, hey. What, what questions, because this, re- this is market research, I'm, mm. you know, what kind of questions were you asking? What were you, and you wouldn't have been asking leading questions, but what were you trying to find out? I think the biggest thing we were trying to find out is like, what can we do? What, 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 what could we do right here, right now for you? Or not just right here, right now, but what's going to make a big difference? And it, it was actually quite different to what you'd sort of assume, right? You know, obviously there's provision of sort of food and oh, if you've got some spare change and whatnot, but the biggest thing people spoke about was I feel invisible. And what I want people to know is that I am a person first and foremost. So rather than this notion of kind of it's a homeless person, we sort of started to, yeah, I guess use this language around it being a person experiencing homelessness, right? You know, so it's because we were meeting these people who were people just like you and I. And and that was, you know, just an insight. And by actually, we created a platform. So looking at it, you know, I guess how did that idea come the next step? We, we created a Facebook page called um, Homelessness of Melbourne. And it was, you know, essentially, you know, emulating humans in New York, looking at a model that Works really well, really effective. So Marcus is quite a talented photographer. So with their mission and their consent, just explain humans of new. I've seen it, but yes, yeah. So um, you know, essentially, it's a platform where they just share stories of people who they they literally walk out into the streets of New York, will go and have a chat to someone, and they'd share the story in their own words, you know, and 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 you know, a portrait to kind of give that insight into look at this, you know, this, this eclectic mix of people we have in our in our in our vibrant city. So we um we thought let's try and apply this model. It works really well. This you know it was sort of really popular at the time. And as I say, sort of fusing our um, respective skills, as I say, Marcus being a photographer and, and myself sort of, um, yeah, doing, you know, studying journalism, et cetera. And we would just put together this story, obviously, with their consent and in their own words, and we'd share it on this platform. And it was amazing. The organic growth was, was incredible. We actually, um, our stories, well, their stories ended up reaching over half a million people, um, you know, per post, which was it, was, it was so organic. I've never sort of experienced sort of a phenomenon like it, you know, obviously I've been involved in one other than looking at things from the outside and going, how has it happened? But the biggest thing, yeah, the biggest thing you, was people were you, saying- I am talking to a guy who's created a viral Facebook page. This is like- Well, no, it, it was. It, look, and and yeah. it was interesting because the biggest thing, as I say, that like that, that, that people, you know, who were experiencing homelessness wanted us to know was that I'm just a person, you know, mm. I, I'm interested, I, I love music and these are my favourite art, etc. And people would say and comment, hey, I've walked past this person every single day, you know, for so long- and now I actually, and I was just a bit, you know, a bit nervous, et cetera. Now I had a way to talk to them because I also love this TV show and I had a chat to them about that and that was the connection. And the biggest thing that was sort of communicated to us was that, you know, I live the same day every single day of my life. You know, there's, there's, there's no spontaneity and I'm invisible. And, and the biggest thing was I just want people, at the very least, if they can just smile, you know, that, that is a huge thing because it says, I see you, that, that you are real, you're here. Um, and, you know, and that was something we thought, so simple, so elegant that, you know, everyone can do, you know, and that was kind of the first step of, all right, we've got some some traction here. We've got a captive group and then we thought we want to do more. Okay, stop. Tell me a moment and it might have been the first bloke you spoke to who went to your school, but was there a moment that you and Marcus still look each other in the eye every now and then and get a bit teary where you go, man, that just like rocked my world? Mm. Oh, look, and to be honest, we, we, we spoke to so many different people and, and you, you can't help but... You know, obviously we're going home that night, you know, and, and, and putting together this story, et cetera, and thinking, well, what are they doing right now? So I think um, absolutely we, um, we actually just as a little experiment went and did sort of a few, few nights on the street ourselves. And it was, it, it was a really profound experience. It was, you know, we, we were super nervous um, and, 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 you know, a lot of anxiety, but it wasn't actually towards people who were experiencing homelessness in the community. It was actually probably, it was a busy time, you know, in, in the city, it was sort of the comedy festivals on, et cetera, you know, and we're in a sleeping bag and, and, you know, you're hearing footsteps and voices and you sort of just, you know, your body just completely Brace. kind of, yeah, exactly braces for, um, I don't know what's going to happen here. And you're just so vulnerable. And, what um, did happen? 
What's that? What did you learn? What did you oh, learn? There? Well, for me, it was it was amazing that like that defined like by me, you know, as opposed to standing up but sitting down on the ground and, and having a sleeping bag. That that was how people perceived me. Like that's how I was defined, you know, and and how people treated me differently. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting. I think was that wow, like you know, I could kind of say, well, hang on a second, like you know, I'm, I'm I could go home tonight, sort of type thing. I'm I'm just like you, but it was um that was probably the most interesting thing was um just the the sense of vulnerability, but also it was very mundane. It was very boring. It was exhausting. And you can actually, we sort of said, you know what, I can understand why someone actually might, you know, get a bottle of wine or whatever, just to kind of, you know, yep. create 100%. some some numbing to pass the time because you're so vulnerable, you're so anxious, you know, you're on edge and it is just exhausting fundamentally. So We've had Simon Rowe, past guest on this show a couple of times. Um, he's the founder of Sleep Bus, a result of exactly that. You know, he saw this, you know, well, it, we've, the story's been told a couple of times on the show. Suffice to say, mm. he, you know, he looked a homeless person in the eye for once as opposed to walking past them and saw the deep tiredness mm. and got talking to them and said, you know, when you're that tired, the guy said, you know, when I'm when as tired as I am because I can't sleep at night because I'm going to get robbed or bashed or yeah. whatever, yeah. then how the hell am I going to get a job the next day? Can't concentrate, can't think, can't keep my eyes open. So, yeah, it's, yeah, got it. No, yeah, so so that, so that experience, yeah, really, I guess, informed again and, and, and the biggest thing we found was that there was just such a stigma and there was these, these unfounded stereotypes. So we decided, like, what can we do? We've got this captive group of people. We actually saw an initiative um, that started in South Africa, which is sort of this global movement called the Street Store. And essentially it was kind of uh, a pop-up sort of cardboard thrift shop and you could invite your community and then also invite, um, you know, the people that you were looking to sort of support. So, you know, in our case, people that we'd, we'd met and had these experiences with to, you know, try and create ultimately a dignified shopping experience. That, that was the idea. So that's kind of, I guess, what was the next step for us was, again, not sort of knowing exactly what we were doing, but sort of we're onto something here, but a captive group. We're challenging, we're changing the, you know, the stigma and the stereotypes where we're connecting people. Um, and then we invited these communities to come together. And the idea was, yeah, that it was this dignified shopping experience. And um, what was really interesting was that we had all these young people come, you know, as you say, sort of your children, et cetera. It was actually, there were more young people, and this is not a kind of um, a comment from me or a snide remark, but... <laughs> but it is, it is. Just go for it. It is what it is. More, more young people came. And that was really cool to see. Um, and, and then also there was a lot of value in it. We saw, you know, just from... Um, the, the appreciation from the people who obviously were receiving the goods and we invited people to bring along either brand new quality was really important or, or super good quality clothing that they were willing to so part with. So just to be clear what this is, so you've, you've got your Facebook page, you've now got a community, you've got a tribe, you've got the yeah. attention of, and I'm guessing a lot of people on Homelessness of Melbourne Facebook page were homeless people. Well, uh, I, I, we, we actually had people who we had spoken to, who we, who we had interviewed again, you know, who were commenting on the stories and saying, look, Thanks so much. You know, okay. I really appreciate. It. So, so, so yes. But we actually went out. We 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 went out to services in the city and just went and you know handed out pamphlets okay. and said we've got this event happening. Come come so on down. You got an audience. Okay, you got an audience. And the event was so it's a it's a pop up. It's a one day pop up. Yeah. What and it is you are selling or at least giving away clothes to brand, homeless people. Yeah, brand new clothing. So that's right. So the idea was okay. that you would you would you, you know the the community the the followers would come along and as I say donate you know clothing. Um, and as I said, the, the sort of prerequisite though was it was either brand new or really good quality. We didn't want sort mm-hmm. of the, the, the tattered seconds, et cetera. We had some great brands come and donate stuff, et cetera. And we had this kind of event, yeah, in Fed Square in the middle of the city. And these two communities came together. And it was, you know, fantastic by far and large, but there were insights for sure. And, you know, we, we sort of thought a couple of things. Okay, some insights here are, well, we had a lot of young people come, which is fantastic. So, you know, how can we continue to channel this momentum with these people and how can we tap into them? And that kind of lent itself to the streetwear component and the clothing. We actually didn't 
think, oh, you know, there's a market here and we can really sort of get a bit of a market share, et cetera. It was like, yeah. what's a way to sort of, you know, connect with these young people and speak their language and what's a good conduit? And we thought streetwear is a really good medium to do that, right? That streetwear culture. There's a lot of communities within that as well, right? So we thought, okay, that's a, a way we can connect these people. But we also thought the experience was great. But, you know, it was also somewhat of a bit of a, you know, lack of a better term, you know, almost this feeding time at the zoo where people were sort of observing, oh, they're going to take my T-shirt or what's what's happening here. And we wanted to kind of, I guess, um, continually refine and make sure that it was a dignified, you know, as dignified as can possibly be. And that was our first pilot of, of, of this. We also, yeah, found though that there was immense value. We actually had, you know, great feedback from the people who received the clothing just saying, look, this has just made my you know, my month, you know, and, and that was special. You know, I know it's not sort of life-changing as such, but it was like, mm. okay, well, that's cool. We can actually make someone's day, week, month a little bit easier and, and, and that's worth it. If you can do that, then, you know, I, I would never shun an idea. If, even if it's not, you know, dr- drastically changing someone's life overnight, mm. if it makes them feel better, you know, and it's not to the detriment or harm of anyone else, then that's a good thing. Sure. So we then thought, okay, how do we do this more sustainably, more permanently, and, and sort of taking the, the things that worked and refining those that we thought we could improve on. And we came up with Homie. So we thought, okay, well, as I say, that's where the streetwear component came into. Let's create a brand. Let's create a brand, a subculture where people can, I guess, show their support in a, in a different way as opposed to us receiving donations, et cetera, but we can connect to them and we can kind of have value in two ways. Because when people buy our stuff and they wear it, obviously, you're sort of spreading the message. We're getting more awareness out there, et cetera. Mm. So it was kind of like we can get people who can become advocates for us through this medium. And then also this business model around, well, what if we become uh, a not-for-profit and we use the profits from the sales to actually you know, facilitate and run some things that are of value to, to, to the people that we were seeking to serve? So that was kind of, you know, the, the evolution mm-hmm. and, and HOMI actually, you know, is an acronym. So it actually stands for Homelessness of Melbourne Incorporated Enterprise, you know, so that's where go. the name came from. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we decided, okay, let's, let's, let's try and, you know, take this to the next level. And the next step was we did some crowdfunding. So we thought, let's just try and put together like a shop then. Like why, why it be one day when it could be a month or, you know, wh- whatever, you know, why can't we create something a bit more stable? So what we decided to do was a crowdfunding campaign. We, I think it was about $20,000 to start with. But we, again, we just sort of thought, oh, that sounds like a good number. That'll, you know, um, let's just start there, right? You know, and sort yeah, of had a bit yeah. of a loose idea. We were really fortunate. So, you know, we, we did, um, we got some good coverage during this time. And, you know, MX was a really great publication oh, back yeah. then. And we got heaps of traction in there, which is awesome. And a few good articles, which started to sort of bolster our presence. And we got on the project and... And anyway, we had a bit of profile. So someone saw that in Melbourne Central, sort of, you know, who works in Just out of interest, how did, that, um, how did that happen? Because often publicity is a, a tough one to get, but yeah. you had a story to tell. Did you get an article in the local newspaper, which in your case was MX, and then the project, which is the, the biggest current affairs show on yeah. Australian TV, they, they picked it up off the back of that? I well, we had a few things. So yeah, a few, a few more communities sort of level, you know, um, publications again, which really, you know, sort of just gave us a bit of credibility initially. Um, mm-hmm. and, and actually, you know what, I just reached out, I just emailed, emailed the project and said, hey, we're doing this. And but I got a call awesome. back almost five minutes later <laughs> and someone said, you know what, we've just, and it was just stars aligning and kind of, you know, get little goosebumps thinking about it. They said, we've just had a round table and we spoke about wanting to cover homelessness and, and what's happening in the space. Getting on the project, Nick, that could have been almost, that could have, you could have imploded because that's serious exposure. That is national, if not international exposure, other media pick it up. So uh, clearly it didn't and it was a positive. What did it literally do 
to the homey brand. You know, the thing is with with all this, we just didn't know any better. You know, that probably was there was a bit of um, there was a bit of benefit in sort of our naivety, right, and our ignorance because we weren't um, as risk adverse because we just didn't know. But I think we stuck to our guns, you know, had our kind of, um, you know, our, our principles that really guided us and our, you know, values of sort of transparency, integrity, respect, creativity, those are always underpin what we do. So that, as I say, sort of applying them from a logical lens, we thought we think this will do more good for us than harm. We probably didn't sort of, um, you know, theorise what's worse that could happen. But what, what, what it did for us ultimately was I think, yeah, put us a bit more on the map, credibility, you know, you whack that on your socials and, and the coverage, the eyes that you get on that. And I can talk about the traction we got more recently um, from, we've had a couple of stories with them now, which has been awesome, obviously. And it just, the eyes you get on it, especially, you know, our consumer, it, it, it is really, you know, sort of, for lack of a better term, you know, people who are quite progressive, you know, who, who are engaging in that. So it's a perfect customer for us as well. So what it did was just lift our socials, you know, and our followers. So you raised 20 grand on Possible. Yep. What do you do with that? So we got tapped on the shoulder because someone saw um, that that exposure uh, and said, hey, we've got a space in Melbourne Central. Um, you know, we can just sort of do discounted sort of, you know, um, rates for you. So it wasn't free, but, um, you know, it was better. And I used to, you know, I used to walk past the shop front, you know, a year before going to uni, you know, it was just so funny how this all sort of happened. It was like, um, you know, just every day I'd walk past and then eventually this, you know, we had this space and it was actually and immediately supposed to be for, for one month. So what we did and we're quite resourceful. So for instance, like I was babysitting for a family who both the parents were working quite senior at Target. So that we, you know, I so, sort of spoke to them, you know, informally about what I was, what we were doing. They said, hey, well, come to the warehouse. We'll get you sorted out from your fixtures and fittings perspectives. You know, so that pulled on some mates who were, you know, chippies and whatnot and and, and street artists just to come in and, and it was, you know, sort of this raw, rough space. But, um, you know, ultimately we were able to open the, the shop doors and, and the clothing that we actually solved, you know, I, guess, I guess the solution of sort of how do we do this and, you know, creating a brand from scratch. What we did was we, we got a lot, number of different brands who who also saw that and, and said, hey, we'll, we'll donate some, some you know, I guess faulty goods to you, et cetera, or sort of um, garments that, you know, sort of end of season, et cetera. So, you know, the community didn't know that or the public, you know, it wasn't that we, we, it was, you know, but it was brands like Stussy, et cetera, you know. So it was really, again, in with our sort of aesthetic. And what we actually did was we, um, we took the logo from our Facebook page, you know, that was, it's this monogram, which is kind of, really our, our Nike tick equivalent. And we put that on some t-shirts, you know, some blanks from AS Color. So we bought some stock, started paying rent, you know, as well. And um, we, we, we opened the shop. The, the idea was that we would actually trade for a month. And then at the end of that, we would have um, a, a version of that, you know, or iteration of that street store experience. And, and we, we actually created these VIP shopping days and, and they still exist to date. And what that is, is, you know, essentially, you know, I guess a, um, a deeper version of our, yeah, the dignified shopping experience. So we would invite a, a local homelessness service to come into the store and, and shop for free, get to choose five items of brand new clothing at their own discretion, you know, haircuts, food, coffee, etc. And, you know, it was supported because of, you know, the people, the community who were purchasing, you know, the, the garments and the goods. So it was sort of this model that was fueling this activity to transpire. So we had that and it was, you know, it was our first attempt again and it worked really well. And, you know, there was a lot of trepidation from even the shopping centre being like, well, how's this going to work in terms of having, you know, you know, we often, it's been challenging for us sometimes with people in, in the centre and everything else. And we just thought, look, here's how it's going to work. We're going to flip the script. Our VIP customers will always be, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, the have-nots versus, you know, the haves, if you will. So, you know, we were really forthcoming in that, but we said, look, the way it's going to work is we'll have the support staff come in as well so we could connect with them, establish a relationship with the organisation, so the first one we had was with a big issue. 
So the big issue vendors came in. It was awesome, you know, and it was just, again, it was amazing to see what the difference, um, a fresh haircut and a new outfit could do. You're describing it very well, Nick, but we're getting, we're sort of getting down to a pointy end of a, a real idea because at the moment, yeah. so you, you, you shop in Melbourne Central, you yep. are, you are, you've got branded clothing, you've got your first iteration of homey merchandise or clothing, br- branded clothing, if you like. Um, you're offering haircuts in the store. You've got some food parcels that people can pick up. So anyone who comes into that store, correct me if I'm wrong, um, it's all free. Or are you selling yeah. the product in order to raise money? No, no, it's all free. So so the idea was that for the, for a customer, for the general public, you know, obviously we're selling the product, but then we'd have this day where we close the doors to the general public and we'd invite the service to come in. So the service would come in, the support staff, et cetera. So it was kind of like, this day is for you and it's been put on because of, you know, um, the customers that have come through here. So we had the sticky notes, the customer would write a note to the person and, you know, they'd come and get their goods and get that. And yeah, it was just a really nice way to sort of, as I say, probably do it it was a refinement because we also didn't want it to be that kind of, you know, awkward experience where you've kind of got this sort of, yeah, it wasn't very natural or organic. And as I say, it wasn't perfect the first time we did it in Fed Square, but we thought this is safer, there's more dignity to it. It's, you know, and we can really personalise okay. it. So having these personal shoppers and everything else allocated to a person as awesome. well. So, so that's, that's ticking along beautifully, but really you, you are providing clothes Correct. to people living rough. Correct. And, you know, that's probably not, it clearly, clearly it wasn't and it isn't, where you ended up? No, no. And how that's, did you? Yeah. Need, how did the, you sharpen the pencil again? Yeah, and and and, and said what? We, we started to have some some youth services come into our store. So as opposed, obviously, big issue. You've got people of all all ages. We had some youth specific services come in, and you know we were learning and educating ourselves about the homelessness situation in Australia whilst we were operating and trading, etc. And it was really fascinating. So this is probably a really important moment. Was that we had a VIP day with these young people. And um, they loved it, obviously, which is which is awesome. So that was a big tick and going great. They love our stuff. Um, but we had young people who actually contacted us post that day and said, "Hey, I had an awesome time today. I love the brand. I, I actually, to be honest, I'm in a situation where I've got a lot of time on my hands, but I'm finding it really hard to get a job. I've got nothing on my resume. No one will give me a go. Um, uh-huh. You know, and I just need a chance. I just need someone to give me an opportunity. So." You know, we were running a voluntary operation at that point in time, you know, so for six months to get it to a point where it could then become sort of paid casual work. But we had some young people who started to, yeah, work with us. So, you know, we were both learning to fold a T-shirt at the same time, customer mm-hmm. service, everything else. And again, you know, it was sort of just a first, first try. But, you know, we started to think we're onto something here. Look, look at how far this person has come from their confidence was the biggest thing from when they started with us to where they are now. The business model got to a point where we could actually start paying people as well. And we thought there's something here. This this is where we need to be focusing on. We realized, again, harking back to sort of those statistics earlier, that youth homelessness was actually almost the bigger issue within the issue. And how could we sort of, you know, I guess make the the, the best difference that we possibly could with the resources that we have. Mm-hmm. We thought we can kind of kill two birds with one stone here. We can still engage, influence, create awareness and, and, and understanding um, and, and, and tap into young people from a um, consumer perspective and actually, you know, I guess inform them on, on what's happening as well as how they can make a real difference and why they should also really be supporting this particular space. And on the flip of the coin, we just saw that it was immense value, obviously, as opposed to, which is a lovely day, you know, the VIP day. And, and the idea is that, you know, the, the, the philosophy behind that is it's a fun day. Yep. You know, and, and again, you can't discount that that isn't important. To give someone a fun day 100%. during, you know, a trying time, there's value in that. But we thought this is where we can actually make a real difference. So we started to sort of really go down this path of investing in young people and creating more structure around this program because we realised that 
there were so many young people who had a very similar situation where they had housing, that you know, they had access to those external supports. And we, we've never been one to sort of um, try and bite off more than we can chew and understand that we stay in our lane, but we can mm-hmm. collaborate with these services that are providing that stability to these young people. But the next step for them is that, well, how do we get them out of this service and into their own place? They need a job. Mm-hmm. And that's where we thought we can actually create some value here. And this is where we can sort of, I guess, establish ourselves. And this was our, you know, important cog in the machine. And the other benefit of doing so was, as I say, you know, the way we operate is the education awareness piece for the community. So, so for them to get a job, they need to upskill. And that's totally. You, that, then that's, that's homies, home that, ground. That, that, and so that is our bread and butter now. That yeah. is where, we, you know, we're, we're an employment-based social enterprise. It, it is really focused on, you know, providing this opportunity to as many young people as possible, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a, in a collaborative but considered manner. You know, it's, it's, real, it's real quality. I think it's really important to note that we don't work with hundreds of thousands of young people a year. We, we do have them come through our VIP days, but the program itself that we run um, is for a dozen young people. It's an intensive eight-month program. This is the Pathway Project? Yeah, it's a Pathway Alliance now because we actually, and I'll yes. talk about that as well, we've, it's developed from just being asked to actually bringing on some really um, big brands, you know, in, well, in Australia, I, which I is awesome. Idea. So the, to be clear, because the, the, the whole idea of, and we talk about this a lot on the show, which is strategic partnership. So Pathway Project you launched in 2017, which is basically you guys are training yeah. a handful in a retail environment so that they can go and get a job in a shop somewhere and support themselves and awesome. Oh, they're off. But that's in and itself is not very scalable. And albeit, you know, you're trying to make a, a, a big impact in a small niche, but yep. you can still make a bigger impact in a smaller niche by these strategic alliances. So you then go and go, what are you doing? You're reaching out to the likes of what, Cotton On and Nike? Yeah, Cotton On, yeah, Nike, Haynes Brands, Champion Bonds, you know, these big, big brands in Australia. But yeah, the idea was that, you know, yeah, as I say, we'd kind of created this, you know, it was with an RTO as well. So we delivered a Cert 3 in retail. So that practical training, we'd pay the young people to study as well. So paid minimum 16 hours a week of guaranteed work, four hours of paid study. So um, we would then obviously provide the on-the-shop floor experience. But as you say, you know, we've got one store at 75 square metres. You know, we, we have a constraint here, but we realised that there was a huge appetite and opportunity to sort of harness the power of retail or the industry itself because retail is, I think it's the second biggest employer of, 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 of people in, in Australia, but it's also, it's the biggest employer of young people. So what a, what a great marriage to make between this industry, which, you know, is the biggest employer of young people and youth homelessness being so overrepresented in, in our country. We thought, here's a marriage that we can make and we can influence these other businesses and help provide and create an infrastructure and a framework so that they can provide the same opportunity that we can because their opportunity, you know, in terms of being able to provide placements to young people is a lot greater than ours. And one of the biggest things is actually challenging the attitudes. You know, one of the biggest pieces of our work is actually going to them. We can help create a safe space for both yourself and, and the young people and, and taking away that trepidation from kind of, well, I don't know, you know, they're going to be laid and what's going to happen here and how do we manage this? And that's our job. You know, we're that cog in the machine that sort of lays between these two parties to support systems as well as these retailers. So a few of them come about, you know, just through initially um, – Cotton On, for instance, um, reached out to us and they also donated product in our, in our first um, store. So we kind of had that connection, talked to them a bit about what we were doing here and gave them that peace of mind that we're working with support services as well so that this young person outside of work is really well supported. We will manage if there's any challenges, that is our job to help sort of facilitate that. And that kind of also lessened a lot of the anxiety, I think, around what's this going to be like. So we kind of were like, as you say, this is our niche. This is where we can really provide the value to you. So that was literally just kind of um, you're going to them, driving out to Geelong and, and meeting with some people of influence. And Nick, I mean, there's, there's even more to the homie story, which we'll cover shortly, but not only are your 
your customers or what what what, you, what, what do you call your the, the people that come through your program? Are they customers? Are they clients? Are they students? Whoever oh yeah, so are. this is uh, interns. So so they're, they're interns. interns okay. Internship. Yeah, they're, they're on a massive learning curve, but your learning curve and Marcus's learning curve as well has just been incredible as you go. And, and you talk a lot about you know you don't need to know um, exactly what you're doing. You've always just gone you know one foot in front of the other and stopped and looked for insights, which I love. You know you've stopped mm. and gone okay. What 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 was kind of particularly interesting about that engagement or that conversation or that day and then learning from that. Um, Have you found now, what are we in, 2021? So we're sort of like five years, four years down the track. Are you becoming a little bit more closed and a little bit more measured and a little bit more, oh, I better not make that decision until I do a little bit more research or you still kind of protect that lovely naivety? You know, there's a bit of maturation there for us just as individuals as well as obviously kind of, you know, more understanding of what our value is, right? So, you know, we're sort of informed and everything's a value exchange. And I think we often undersold ourselves and we're kind of, you know, talking to these big players going, oh, put the hand out sort of, you know, can you sort of, but actually the value that we create is... They need you as much as you need them. Yeah, and we've had to sort of appreciate that because, you know, where we've come from is, as you you know, humble beginnings. I mean, we've had, you know, a number of people, you know, so so ahead of impact, you know, started with us working in in, in the shop, you know, as our first store manager. You know, it's, it's, it's actually been a lot of people invested from that first day and we've really grown into these roles and created this, you know, this organisation, which, mm. yeah, in a lot of ways, you know, has come from, you know, a, a place of passion and, and authenticity. But yeah, we've obviously, you know, as we've gone, we're like, no, we've we've got amazing experience here. We, I'm not an expert in, in this as such, but I've got, you know, five, six years of experience in, in this. And the biggest thing is that we're youth-led. We're led by our young people, you know, and as I say, we've always been, as you can tell from our journey, seeking the feedback and, and applying, you know, what seems feasible and, um, yeah, I, I guess best practice in, in terms of, you know, what's our next decision. So that's been an interesting thing for us more recently is actually understanding our sort of social currency and what we can um, create from a value perspective because, yeah, we are we, we, we are creating something, you know, CSR these days, you know, is, is, is massive. And I guess for us, it's like if we can be potentially that that spark that can light the fire within this industry, we know that we, you know, we can't do everything, as I say, for everyone, but yeah. we can actually you know, help support these workplaces and we can get a lot more young people through the door by, by these strategic partnerships. So that, that's been something which has been, yeah, really awesome to explore. Somewhere along this journey, Nick, you have been lucky enough, you've, 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 and you've still got it, a store in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, for those who yeah. are from Melbourne. I mean, we're talking a major fashion slash retail strip in Melbourne, you know, in probably in the top, certainly in the top five. Yeah. You know, how did you get a store? Yep. Uh, and what role does that store play? Yeah, no, so we, um, the store was funny. So, you know, we had this rolling sort of um, lease sort of piece happening. Um, we were, we're jumping on these short-term pieces throughout Melbourne Central. So we'd go from oh, yeah. one one store that was the size of, you know, 200 square metres to a little little glass box in, you know, um, right. tucked away in the corner. So, we, we you know... We got to a point where we're like, this is just not sustainable for us. You know, we're moving every couple of months. We're, but we, we're grateful, but hey, one hundred percent, yeah, exactly. But I think we also got our business to a point where, yeah, obviously there, there was there was more, um, you know, cash in bank, etc. And we decided to. It, it was a little bit at the time. You know, we probably didn't have as much as, um, you know, we, <laughs> in hindsight, from a risk appetite perspective, we, we, we probably <laughs> needed from the peace of mind. But we just we it came up. It was a corner of Brunswick and Johnson Street. You know, and oh. and Marcus is the and and we've got others. You know, who, who live in that area who go. I, I'm just you know, and there was just a bit of just trust me. 
Trust me, this is the spot for us. So the store, the function of the store is really interesting now. So it's been we've we've had it for about five or so years, right? So you got it. Trade. You're leasing it. Yep. So we so it's at least and commercial look, transaction. It's commercial no transaction. One, no one gifted it to you. No, nah, no. Nah. So we that's you part of the, part of the game as well. Dice, my friend. Yeah, awesome. yeah. We we did. Um, but you know, we just thought location is is you know it's you really the community themselves that is our customer. Um, you know, it's such an iconic sort of tourist destination now as well. So mm-hmm. we do get good foot traffic, but from also like an acknowledgement and from a awareness perspective and advertising, you know, it's it's prime location. So we the store itself, you know, obviously it's it's all our own product. So we, we you know we have our own brand, which is really cool to 100%. sort of go from that place where it's all our own stuff, you know, and we design it all. Um, you know, and it's you know, we, we manufacture both locally, internationally, but obviously all ethically. Um, and that's really cool to see a shop that's completely comprised of our own product and we're a standalone brand. Um, but the function itself, we have um, our VIP day still rolling monthly. So we'll, we'll close that store once a month and we'll invite that service to come into the store and, and have that dignified shopping experience. The, the, the best thing about our store now is that we also have, we have a number of interns, obviously, who work in our store and, and we have a number of interns who work in these other partners. So, you know, Champion and Bonds and Nike, et cetera. So everyone studies together on the Monday, then they go out throughout the course of the week and they work in their awesome. respective places. But the best thing about the store or where I think it's, I guess our model is sort of realized and it's that simplicity, but it's elegance is that we have our alumni, so our graduates of our program who come back now and co-facilitate our VIP days. So you've got this Unreal. new service coming in. So each month, you know, we, we get it. We've got these great relationships with these partners. So we get a new youth service come in, new young people. And we have our people who've come through our program and say, hey, welcome to Homey today. Um, I'm going to be your personal shopper. And um, actually, you should also apply for this program because I was here eight months ago um, on a VIP day and I'm now working here and I've just moved into my own place. And so it's a really powerful form of sort of recruitment, if you will. But um, mm. so it is a bit of a recruitment drive and also advocacy. Like it's, a, it's just a, a really special kind of moment. That gives me goosebumps because I'm like that is where the quality lies. And it's such a powerful form of advocacy for us as well. So yeah, that's kind of, you know, the, the purpose is if for anything, it's, it's a training space. It's, it's, it's a safe environment for our young people with our staff, obviously, um, you know, having for a number of years now worked with it, with, with the cohort and making sure that it is that. Um, it's obviously also, yeah, a sales channel for us. Um, although so, we're really, so, so, yeah. yeah. So financially, Nick, you are getting, is, is your major source of revenue through the selling of homey branded clothes? Uh, it is, yeah. And, and everything yep. else, all the training is funded through your alliance partners. So you're not, that's not costing you anything. You know, we're a social enterprise, but we're, we're also, we're, we're a charity, we're a registered charity, you know, here in mm-hmm. Australia. And we also, mm-hmm. but we run a commercial operation. So yeah. all the profits that we derive from the sales, we reinvest into facilitating the programs that we, we have created. Um, we, you know, we, we pay our way in, in, in some ways in the sense that we pay every young person to study, um, no matter if they're working in our store or working in one of our partner organisations. Um, the partner organisations say, for instance, someone actually gets assigned to working in the bond store, you know, Haynes Brands will, will pay them as an employee and onboard Got them it. through their processes, et cetera. So they pay the wage when they're in the workplace. We pay for the study and we also pay for the young people in, um, you know, I guess in our store. Um, but also, obviously, we've got our internal youth workers, et cetera, you know, which, you know, are our secret source because they mm. they forge these incredible relationships with these young people. One of the things, and let's just move across, you've got a merchant, well, not, it's not merch, it's your pro, it's your branded product, hoodies mm. and sweaters and tees and pants and streetwear, right? Yeah. Um, you don't have the budgets of a Nike or a Cotton On to get your yeah. word out. You're not buying billboards or TV ads or anything totally. like that. Um, you are very much into guerrilla marketing and I love the, mm. I love the whole concept of guerrilla marketing. Just 
to, to, to finish off, Nick, a couple of insights into how you go around a way, a raising awareness around the Homie brand without spending a fortune? Yeah, I mean, that's how it started, right? The origins really were from the streets. So it's sort of really applying that <laughs> principle. So yeah, a lot of our a lot of our activations, you know, and collaborations, if you will, are with, with sort of, you know, we've got a, a sort of a, a big partnership, which has been fantastic with Champion. We're sort of aligned as sort of their, you know, it's almost like a sort of big sibling, little sibling relationship. Who's that with? Uh, Champion. Yep, yep. So, you know, they're probably the biggest streetwear brand in the world right now. And yeah. we've been able to sort of piggyback, um, you know, off them and, um, you know, work on collaborations together and sort of, you know, launch that through their sales channels and, and their wholesale partners. So we're getting that brand recognition through that manner. And obviously, again, what a great buy-in for a wholesale, like a universal store or whatever it may be to go or glue or whatever they are. And General Pants, it's like, well, wow, look yep. at this product with purpose that we can sell as well. So Unreal. we've really infiltrated or trying to infiltrate that market, if you will. I guess from like an awareness advocacy piece, like, and a lot of our models that we use, you know, have, have been former, you know, um, interns, alumni, et cetera. It's been, you know, really important to make sure that there's that authenticity there. Um, you know, we've, but again, some of the things that have just transpired for us have been so, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, it's just obviously sticking to our guns and, and, our, and, and our values. You know, we've, we've had traction in, in the States more recently and been picked up on ABC in LA. I guess one of, one of the great things we found as well is that from a brand ambassador perspective, you know, aligning with people who, um, you know, it's not, trivial. It's it's not a mm-hmm. sort of, you know, um, it's not transactional, but it's not trivial. So, you know, for instance, we've obviously had a lot of stuff um, happen with Tommy Little, who's been fantastic for us, you know, obviously again, being on the project. Being on the project. Correct. And, yeah. You okay. know, tattoos and the whole works and, you know, a, a, just a pretty lively fella. So, you know, those kind of people, um, but also going back to sort of who our influencers are, it, it's all about authenticity, like people who are sort of, you know, proud of, you know, unashamedly themselves, always making sure that obviously, you know, it's, it's progressive, you know, and, um, yeah. and we have really strong representation, you know, from from all walks of life is, is super important as well. But, you know, it goes back to, for instance, like one of our best marketing activities or best brand moments, we've had these street parties, you know, at the back of our store, you know, so behind our store, you know, in this, in this street, very sort of LA sort of type of vibe, DJs, you know, um, craft beers and the works. And, you know, I I think the interesting thing that we've been more daring than right, like a traditional, let's say like sort of homelessness charity has been able to do in the past. You know, obviously we we make sure there's the responsible service, you know, as much as we can Mm -hmm. regulate consumption of alcohol, et cetera. But that is what our consumers do. You know, that is, that is what the consumers do. And if we can actually say it's okay to have, you know, a good time, you know, but 100%. safely and responsibly, you know, that's been the biggest thing I think is we've allowed yep. people to be themselves, you know, as opposed to it, you know, it's, it's actually kind of, you know, adopting us as opposed to sort of, you know, having to sort yep. of practice this new way of, of doing things. It's like, here's what you're doing anyway. We yeah. can create a party for you. You can come along, you know, we'll have the, the, the merch there and you get, a, you get a homie cap when you come and everyone's wearing these pink homie caps and dancing and, you know, people walking past the street going, what's going on in that alley there? You know, I want to be part of that. Yeah, Let's yeah, want a yeah. slice of that activity. So, I love it, mate. Yeah. And Nick, um, I, I, question without notice and I'm going to offer up an answer before you give yours, but uh, yeah, no worries. Uh, magic happens when people appear on my podcast. It's 12 years oh, old. Great. And um, when I say that, you know, generally speaking, a guest often rings me and says, God, you know, appeared on your show and such and such. This this happened. I don't know what it is. But for you, I'm wanting to know what do you need at Homie? And I want you to actually mm. ask for it and, and give a call to action as to how people can offer it up to you. What I would ask, so have a think about that. What I would ask is mm. for my listeners to go to your website at Homie, H-O-M-I-E.com.au. If you're my age, you're probably not going to find anything you would want to wear because, you know, uh, it's just the nature of... Oh, don't say that to my dad. My dad, um, sitting, mum, rock a few things. <laughs> I, I was going to say, don't, I'm not going to finish that sentence there. I was going to say, 
but buy something and send it to a nephew or a niece or a brother or a sister mm. or someone, you know, and just buy something and gift it to someone else because there is a lot there and it is, and I, I, I shouldn't say I wouldn't wear it, but I also live in a sunny, hot environment and, you know, I don't even own a hood. <laughs> like, um, so, yeah, go over to homie.com.au and, and buy something for someone. What do you guys need, Nick? Mm, I mean, that's, look, right, that's the easiest way, right? Anyone can do that and it's just a shop for a friend, you know. I mean, fundamentally, you're not going to get a gift that gives more than... Do you need more strategic alliances? So, yes, you know, that's probably the biggest thing is like, you know, we're looking for empathetic employers. Organisations, you know, retail specific, obviously, uh-huh. who have capacity to, em- to employ are interested in this, you know, go, hey, actually, this could be really cool for us and and, and I guess to sort of preface that we really support you and, you know, I guess put your staff through the appropriate training, et cetera, and create that workplace that, you know... Do they need to be... A, a big brand or can they just be a small, you know, business with a couple of shops? Well, or? exactly. If, look, if, if, if they've got, you know, and, and, and they feel like they align to sort of our, our, our vision and, and, and our views and values, then, then that's, you know, that's great for us. So there's there's always that. But, you know, again, you know, anyone who can help us as well do our business better. You know, we're still, you know, as I say, I haven't come from a background of sort of, you know, I haven't done an MBA or anything like that whatsoever. But if you, you know, for instance, got you know, it. I guess skilled volunteering is always greatly appreciated. You know, I guess if there are places that can offer, again, sort of, you know, um, whether it's sort of, you know, pro bono or low bono kind of, you know, opportunities from, if, yeah. it's, if it's, you know, helping <laughs> low me. bono. Yeah. Well, <laughs> low bono also sometimes equates to low quality, <laughs> so not low bono quality, um, but, um, you know, sort of obviously, you know, it can help with, with those things. That's always welcomed and encouraged as well because we don't know what we don't know. There could be opportunities that we're also not realizing, but yeah. if you can help us become a household name. You know, that's one of the biggest things. If someone, for instance, has, awesome, you know, man. put us on some billboards if you could. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be great. Mate, uh, absolutely. How would they um, express an interest in helping you? Is there an email address? Do you want them to go to your website? To, what's the easiest yeah, way? Yeah, email is just nick nick at homie.com.au. But um, yeah, we'd love to chat to anybody who thinks that, you know, Good they man. just, if they, if they if they align with us, um, that would be fantastic. That's awesome, brother. Well, next time or on a Melbourne trip in 2022, which will be my next Melbourne trip, I will certainly uh, offer my services great. to come and have a chat to your to your or homies, whether it be about customer service or marketing or whatever, I'd love to fil- facilitate some kind of discussion and, and, and I'm sure awesome. other people are going to reach out. Brother, I think you're doing a great job. It's early days. Um, I reckon you've got a, a very, very exciting uh, time ahead of you and, and well well done to you for making a difference in a much needed niche. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks, Hammy. It's been awesome to chat. Well, there you go, team. Homies, Nick Pierce. What a solid fella doing amazingly good things in this very, very troubled world. I'm in awe of Nick. Seriously, if you can support Homie in any way, then please reach out to Nick via homie.com.au. That's H-O-M-I-E. Or email Nick at homie.com.au. And just do whatever you can to bring this great social enterprise even more to life. And uh, let's get it humming, hey? Here's my top three attention grabbers from that chat with Homie's main man. Attention grabber number one. I love how Nick and his business partner Marcus did their research up front by getting out on the streets to truly understand the plight of those he wanted to support. So it kind of raises the question, what informal research are you doing in your business and what insights are you uncovering and subsequently coming up with solutions that kind of take your business to the next level, huh? Attention grabber number two. I love Nick's take on moving things forward. As he said, and I quote, you don't need to know exactly what you're doing, <laughs> end quote. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll subscribe to that. I think I have. You've got to do something, right? Action creates reaction. 
I often write that in when someone buys a copy of The Boomerang Effect, my book, um, I sign it. And I think often I say, just take action because that's where the magic is. Attention grabber number three. I love the VIP days they put on offering a dignified shopping experience to those living rough. What a wonderful gift to give, huh? All in all, Homie is simply a bloody good story and I'm so honoured Nick chose to share it on this little old podcast. That's what grabbed my attention, team. What grabbed yours? Call the hotline after the show's over or call it now. I'm happy if you stop and call it now. 0480 015150 and let me know your thoughts on marketing on this episode. Maybe you've got, you know, a question for me. I don't know. Just give us a buzz. Just like Nigel from Outcomes Business Group did. Hi, Timbo. My name is Nigel Letty. I work as a business coach currently with Outcomes Business Group. And I have owned and built 22 businesses over the past 40 odd years. I've written a book called The Wall, and I really care about trying to get people's business and life balance right, because I've done it every way wrong that you could possibly do. Some of those businesses were franchise, manufacturing, wholesale, retail. There's an an awful lot of uh, a range of business that I've had. The biggest was uh, Bicycle Superstore, which grew out to 14 stores, 120 staff and I think uh, I ended up being not passionate about the business that I built and I've just been listening to your podcast that was introduced to me by my son who is now a very successful business owner. Um, He's 40 years of age and he's got work-life balance better than me so I love to learn from clients, I love to learn from my own kids I've documented an awful lot of what I have learnt in just an easy book called The Wall, and it is about the mindset. Anyway, that's me. Um, Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you so much for calling in, Nigel. Work-life balance, eh? Yes, a topic very close to my heart. I rattle on about it a bit. I ask mm, the majority of my guests how their work-life balance is. But the thing is, team, it's critical. I mean, what use are you if you're constantly under the pump? What you see you as a business owner, a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a wife, a husband, if you're always under the pump, don't let your business control you. The other thing is work-life balance ain't embraced by enough small business owners. We've got to do more about it. Should start a movement. What do we call it? It's needed. And the other thing about work-life balance, it's fun. The balance part. Work should be fun, but the balance part should be fun as well. A bit like marketing. Anyway, rant over. I'll get off my soapbox. Be like Nigel and call me on 0480-015-150. Tell me what's on your mind. I would love to know. Do it now and you'll possibly find yourself on the show sooner rather than later as I'm actually running low on voicemail messages of my precious listeners to play. Be sure to leave your web address so you get a bit of free exposure. Next episode, you and I catch up with musician and longtime friend of this show, Lockie Dolly, who just four years ago emailed his fan base telling them he was, and I quote, flat broke and seriously close to giving up and finding a real job, end quote. Luckily, he didn't, as today he's about to start touring America with Pink Floyd's Roger Waters. It's an insane story. And Lockie joins us next week. It'll be the second time around to explain 
how that came about. If you'd love to know how and why to create some helpful marketing, then grab a copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect, over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. There ain't a lot of copies left. I'd love to hear from you. What marketing's working for you? What's on your mind? Give me a buzz. 0480 If you're loving the Small Business Big Marketing podcast and given you've got this far, I'm kind of assuming you are, then you'll find 576 more episodes on your favourite podcast app. And as has been the case for the past 12 years, this podcast was presented by moi, Timbo Reed. The music smashed together by that amateur fellow I mentioned earlier. And then luckily for us all, we have producer Romy Scher to be the mature one and pull it all together for your listening pleasure. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the absolute best marketing. Bye for now.